0: Good morning folks. Very, very warm welcome. My name is Alistair Bruce and I'm a minister here in Ellen Parish Church. Um, if this is your first time here, then you are most, most welcome. If this is your hundredth time here, you are just as welcome. We are delighted that you have all come here to worship God um, and to spend time in his presence. So let's take a little moment to still our hearts as we approach God and worship. Welcome to this place and this space where good news is shared. Welcome to this place and space where good news is witnessed. Welcome to this place and space where the good news is enacted. Welcome as we come to worship the God of good news. Let us pray together. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the weather that we've had, for the time we've had with friends and family. We thank you for those good times in life. We also praise you for our lives that we have. Even when times are not so good, we know that you are there with us. Be with my words this morning. Let them be an encouragement and words of hope. And let them be, most of all, your words. In all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through this series entitled Unmasked, and we're looking at ways in which Jesus, when Jesus reveals himself to the people around him, when he, in a sense, takes off his mask, the ways in which people react to that. Some people are shocked, some people hate him, some people accept him, but there are different ways in which Jesus revealed elicits a response from the people around him. And that is really um, the core of how we respond to Jesus, so much as when we see Jesus revealed as God, how do we respond? And so we're looking at this theme of Jesus unmasked, and we're looking at it through the lens of superheroes, and how, when they are unmasked, or if they are potentially unmasked, We then find out something about them, and people react to them in different ways. Would people react to Batman in the similar way, knowing that he is Bruce Wayne under that mask? Or would we react to Spider-Man in the same way, knowing that he's just a teenager in Peter Parker? And Spider-Man is, is sort of the superhero I want to sort of enter this conversation through, but really it's also through a bit of a larger thing. So Spider-Man, um, there's a movie that's just come out pretty recently, and this picture of, of Spider-Man is not from the most recent movie. There's been lots of different Spider-Mans, and to be honest, I don't follow all of the Marvel movie things as much as maybe some people do. I don't know how many of you do or if you've seen all 822 or whatever Marvel movies there are. It seems impossible for me to keep up, but I do know who Spider-Man is, and I had Spider-Man toys as a kid, and the VHS was a Spider-Man show. But there is a line from the very first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire playing Spider-Man from a long, long way back. And there's a line in it that is somewhat of a movie and TV show um, trope, or, or we might even call it a bit of a meme these days. And the line goes something like this, and maybe you've heard this kind of line in a movie, we're not so different, you and I. And it's often out of the mouth of the villain, isn't it? We're not so different, you and I. This was really made quite funny in the Austin Powers movies because this becomes what Dr. Evil says to Mike Myers' Austin Powers over and over. We're not so different, you and I, Mr. Powers. But it is also what the villain in the first Spider-Man literally says to Spider-Man. We're not so different, you and I. And it's become a sort of trope and it's something that we sort of giggle at when we hear it because it's so common. But why do we hear that line? Why is that line there? We're not so different, you and I. I wonder if it's especially in a superhero context because it's the villain reminding the good guy that they're both sort of agents of destruction. Superman saving a bunch of people usually results in buildings getting destroyed, people's cars getting upended, street lights getting ripped out, a huge amount of damage, and, and I can't watch these movies without thinking, of, oh my gosh, what is like, who's gonna pay for this? Is the city gonna have to raise taxes? Like, What's going on? Superman's not paying for that, are you kidding? Um, and they're both causing a lot of damage and a lot of chaos, and it's actually a really, really thin line between the superhero who is saving the day and the villain who is causing all of the chaos. And often, especially this comes out with a superhero like Batman, who is, a, it's a dark series, and there's a lot of like themes about like you know, his own quest for revenge and placating himself, and it's dark, and, and it's violent. Batman himself is very, very violent towards the henchmen and, and the villains, but he'll never kill them. Right, that's his line. He won't ever kill, but he's incredibly violent. He beats people up, he smashes things, he's driving his car all around. And it's in the end, it's not that much different than some of what the villains do. And there's a very thin line. Between the good guy being the hero, causing lots of damage, beating people up, doing all those sorts of things, but he's doing it for one cause, and the villain is doing it for another. And so we see with the Green Goblin, he tracks Spider-Man up on a roof, and he says, we're not so different, you and I. You're special. You could do all sorts of amazing things for yourself. We, together, as exceptional people, could do a lot. But you know, as, as the viewer and as fans of the superhero who's trying to stop him, that they are different in the end. But it, that line reminds us that sometimes they aren't actually that different. So, my question this morning is how different is Jesus? How different is Jesus from the people that he was around as he grew up? How different is he from the people who were also claiming to be messianic figures or revolutionaries? How different was he from the people who claimed to know what God wanted the people to do? How different was Jesus? We're going to listen to our reading this morning now as Lorraine is going to come and read for us.
1: The reading today is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, reading from verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Holy Spirit was with him. The news about him spread throughout all that territory. He taught in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. Then Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath he went as usual to the synagogue. He stood up to read the scriptures and was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has chosen me to bring good news to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and announce that the time has come when the Lord will save his people. Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the people in the synagogue had their eyes fixed on him, as he said to them, This passage of scripture has come true today, as you heard it being read. Amen.
0: Thank you. This scripture is now fulfilled in your hearing. In the story, Jesus reads an old, old text, one that they would be very familiar with. And the difference comes, the unmasking comes, not in the reading of the text, but in the application of it to himself. Later on in the story that we didn't get to read this morning, it says that the people were, oh, excited about this, oh, that's great. That all sounds good, and they they kind of welcome Jesus, and he's in his hometown. But things go a bit wry when later he says, look, I'm not really going to do much here, because it also says that I'm not going to be accepted in my hometown. And then they get mad. Again, in this unmasking moment, the people of his hometown get angry. And they try and actually throw him off a cliff in in the story, and he is able to to sort of escape that. But the unmasking of what he says being, this is fulfilled now. So that's part of the question I'm asking. How different is Jesus from other people around? Well, Jesus is different in lots of ways, and we we will have heard, I'm sure, lots of sermons about how Jesus is different from lots of different people. But I want to kind of explore this a bit. So you have, at the time of Jesus, and in and around, you know, give or take some decades or or a century or two on either side of him, you have people who come out of the people of Israel who claim in some ways to be maybe a bit of a messianic figure, or maybe they don't claim it for themselves, but other people claim it about them. But in many ways, they are um, similar because they are trying to restore the kingdom of Israel. And there's lots of prophecies in the Old Testament that we now apply to Jesus that talk about how David's reign will come back. Remember this reign of King David? He was powerful, he was a warrior. And then his son Solomon reigns and he has this large kingdom and people are bringing gifts from foreign lands. And Israel is big kids on the block. They're the bullies. They're the ones no one messes with. And so there are people in and around the time of Jesus who long for that restoration of Israel's power, of Israel's kingdom. And so they, in different ways, try and bring it about. They try and revolt against Greece or against Rome or against the other kings like Herod. And they try and bring it all back. And they always fail. But that's not just the difference between Jesus and them, that Jesus succeeds and they fail. One of the big differences is they are still stuck in this idea of hope, that hope for this restoration, and we are going to somehow bring it back through force or through violence or through our own action. What Jesus says here in Luke chapter 4 is that this is now fulfilled in your hearing, in Jesus' very self, in Jesus' very actions. It's not that it's some future revolution that's going to happen that Jesus is going to lead. It is happening now, as Jesus speaks. And people aren't ready to accept that. But how does this happen? It happens, so I've contrasted here, two sets of hope and, and reality. So for Jesus' time, there's this hope of a restoration, of specifically the nation of Israel, the kingdom of David, all of these sort of things, that, which is very ethnic and national. And the reality that Jesus brings about in the present is that he breaks out of this idea of an ethnic or a national identity. And so his bringing about this kingdom and this restoration of Israel doesn't happen by restoring an actual throne with an actual crown and an actual ruler on earth. What he does is actually reimagines the entire thing with the 12 disciples representing the 12 tribes and all the different actions that Jesus does to show that he is now actually the fulfillment of all that Israel was meant to be, that the nation of Israel now has become complete in Jesus. And then he opens it up and says, it's not about your ethnicity or your national identity, whether you've converted or not converted. Everyone is now part of the family of God. Jew or Greek, can we get this in Paul, slave nor free, male nor female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. He doesn't have to restore the kingdom of Israel and then everyone has to come through Israel to God. It opens out the other way where God goes out to everyone. And then we become the temples of God. There is no longer one temple where God dwells confined in the holy of holies. We become the temple of God. And that is how Jesus brings hope into reality. He brings hope from a restoration of a nation into the reality of bringing everyone into the family of God. And that has reverberations for us. And so today we have to balance our own hope and our own reality. Christianity is a faith of hope. We hope for a future in which God will act to restore everything, to to return and to remake this earth and to bring everyone living and dead together where we will live as one and we will live with God and there will no longer be the separation and there will be no more tears and no more partings, no more sorrows. And we hope for that future, that future that could come any moment, Jesus reminds us, but we don't know when, It could come after we are long gone, or it could come in our lifetime. We have this hope, right? But we have to balance that hope with this reality. Remember Jesus' words. This is now fulfilled in your hearing. With Jesus' coming, with Jesus unmasking, as God comes to earth, hope has become reality. And we have to now, here in 2022, balance this idea of hope, that we're looking for some future where things will be okay, with the reality that things have changed now, and we have to act now. We can't put it all in the future and just sit on our hands and wait. We also do have to act now, but you can't just act now, hoping to fix everything, as if we're going to be able to fix everything. You have to also have hope. Do you see how this balance has to be in play? And this is why we need Jesus unmasked, because Jesus holds these things together, the hope and the reality. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished not it will be finished, or just give it some time, just hold on and wait, you know, and, you know, 2,000 some odd years, it'll be finished. It is finished. There is something that has become reality. Hope has become reality in Jesus. And we cannot forget that as we sit here, hope has become reality. But we also hold on to the hope that guides us, the hope that we will one day be together with God. And so Jesus unmasked brings that all together in one. And that is why we still hold on to hope, even though things look like they're a mess. And things are a mess. I don't know about you, but I am generally these days just tired. I'm tired of reading the news. I'm tired of hearing about other things that are happening. I'm tired of all of it. That doesn't mean I'm gonna stop, or that doesn't mean I'm gonna ignore things that are happening in the world with climate change or with government inquiries or with you know the ongoing nature of the pandemic or the continued struggles between workers and the ultra wealthy or the struggle still to get rid of white supremacist systems that oppress people of color. I'm tired, but it doesn't mean I'm going to ignore it. It doesn't mean it goes away. But it is exhausting to only live in the reality. We have to have hope to balance us, hope to guide us, and to live both in the reality of Christ and the reality of our mess now and also hold on to the hope that God will one day fix all of it ultimately in the end. But right now, as we work, as we live, as we here in Ellen are a little pocket of the light of God, as we show God's love to the people around us, as we bring the kingdom in our own little actions, in every little thing that you do that shows the light of God, you open a window through which the love of God comes through in a way that it didn't before That is our reality just as much as the mess around us. They are both woven together in this mess of a ball. But in Christ, hope becomes reality. And even in the midst of a desert life, you can see life beginning to bloom. So let us hold those both together. That is my call to you. Don't forget the reality of Jesus now, but don't let go of the hope either. Hold them together in Christ. Let us pray. God, I thank you for hope. And I thank you for Jesus, who in his life made hope a reality. Let us hold on to hope for the future while not letting go of the need to fight for what is good now. We must continue to work to bring your kingdom here on earth. Let us not grow weary of that fight. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. So let us go from this place and live in the reality of Christ's sacrifice in the reality of the nearness of the kingdom of God. And let us keep our eyes fixed on the hope that we have in God.